0: So, this morning we're going to be reading from 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 5 is during the ministry of Elisha the prophet. He's been doing amazing things uh, through the power of God. In the previous chapter, he raised uh, a young boy from the dead. He purified a a deadly stew. and, And now we come to 2 Kings 5, where God shows amazing grace to a Gentile an unbelieving Gentile, someone who who isn't even from the nation of Israel. So we're going to read 2 Kings 5 together, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 19. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letters to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? And wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Tharpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, Before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god, but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. So this morning we're going to be walking through all of 2 Kings 5, verse 1 to 19. But for a, foot of, a bit of focus, we're going to read again the verses 13 and 14. 2 Kings 5, verse 13. But his servants, that's Naaman's servants, they came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean." Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what must we do to be saved? How much do we have to do in order to to win God's favor? It's an interesting question to think about because throughout the Bible we're we're seemingly given contradictory answers. On the one hand, salvation is promised to, to everyone who believes, So you have to believe. It's something you have to do. But on the other hand, we're told that it's completely God's doing. That salvation is a gift. It is God who gives it to us. So when we ask a question such as, what must we do to be saved? Perhaps we're not even starting with the right starting point. We should be starting with God. What has God done? And then we can go from there. Because after all, salvation is a free gift from God. I'm sure you all know the beautiful words from Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved. And and this isn't your own doing. This is a gift of God. Loved, loved of God, we're all in need of this grace. And this grace comes, comes only from God. And in our text, Naaman Naaman the Syrian, he also is in need of God's grace. And on his journey to, to believing in the one, only, true God, he struggles with this reality. Reality that, that salvation is a free gift. He, he tries to buy salvation. He repeatedly tries to get cleansing in the way that he wants. But in our text, God is showing us his way of salvation. He shows us that salvation comes completely and totally from Him alone. We're going to see that today under this theme wash and be clean. We'll consider God's free gift of grace as we look at Naaman's worry, the leprosy that he had. Then we'll look at the way that Naaman was washed. And finally, we'll see how Naaman responded in worship. So, to start off, we're going to have a look at the main character of this story, Naaman. And we'll see what his worry was. So we read in verse 1 that, that Naaman is a commander of the army of the king of Syria. And so to put this in a bit of context, we'll, we'll think about what, Syri- what this means. So, so Syria, they're fierce rivals with Israel at this time. They're, they're in the middle of a, of a fairly long war. And Syria, they're, they're well on top at this time. Syria is the arch enemy, and Israel despised them. Recently, Syria had gone out on raids against Israel, and they didn't just take gold, silver, and weapons, they took with them women and children as well. We can see that in our text, Naaman, he took back a young Israelite girl to, to be a servant for his wife. And just think about what that means for a moment. This is someone's daughter, this is someone's granddaughter, maybe someone's younger sister. Imagine someone that close to you was was taken away. And who's responsible? It's it's Naaman. He's responsible for, for separating families. He's responsible for killing Israelites, killing God's people. So Naaman, his his public enemy number one. He was the commander of the army. He was the one who was responsible for so much sadness, so much anxiety during this time. But interestingly enough, it was God who was using Naaman for this purpose. So what we read in in verse 1, we read there that, that he was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. By him the Lord had given victory to Syria. It might sound a bit odd. The Lord's working against Israel. He's working against his own people through this man. What's going on here? Well God, He, he has this covenant with His people. I'll be your God. You will be my people. But with this covenant came came obligations as well. The Israelites, they were supposed to be loving God with all their heart, their soul, their mind. But they weren't, they didn't. They weren't being faithful to the Lord. And so the Lord was using Naaman, the enemy, as a means to direct his own purposes, to, to punish Israel for their unfaithfulness. We can see Israel's unfaithfulness even in the text. When, when the request for healing comes to, to the king of Israel, the person who should be the representative of godliness in the nation, we can see that he's not reliant on God at all. What does he do when this request comes? Instead of going to God, he he tears his clothes. He laments that he's not God. And so God is using Naaman, using Syria to to punish Israel. And through this, Naaman becomes quite a, a prestigious man. But despite his fame, despite his title, his reputation and his wealth... Naaman, too, had, some, had a particular trial that he had to, to work with in his life. We read in verse 1 that he was a mighty man of valor, but, but he was a leper. He was a leper. And the Syrians, they didn't have the same cleanliness laws as, as the nation of Israel, so, so Naaman, he wouldn't have been a, a social outcast. But for a man that had everything else, this was, this was less than ideal, Leprosy, it's painful. He would have had looks of disgust from from people around him. And those in his community, in his life, they would have been avoiding him like a plague because he had a plague. It was a a terrible existence. And a man of this, with this power, with this position, he would have tried all the local Syrian oils and, and magicians, the lotions. Nothing would have helped Nothing did help, because Naaman was in need of true cleansing. And true cleansing can only come from the one true God. But how? How would Naaman hear about this one true God if there was no one to to tell him about him? There was no one witnessing about him. Well, the truth is, he wouldn't. But God, God in His grace provides a witness: the young Israelite slave, the young girl whom He had captured, whom He had separated from her family. This young girl, against all odds, was a faithful witness of the power of God. And in this situation, it's it's so countercultural. She's a girl. She's a slave. She's suffered oppression at the hands of this man. But she understands the power that the word of God has. So she tells her mistress about God. Mistress tells Naaman. And Naaman tells the king of Syria. And the king of Syria at this time is one of the most powerful men in the world. So the words of this young girl make the, the most powerful man in the world act. He, he does something about it. A small, insignificant slave girl makes the most powerful man in the world act. It's how God works sometimes. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 1. We read there that God has chosen the weak things in this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And he does that so that no glory shall sorry, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, because of this, because this advice comes from a lowly slave girl, there's no way that Naaman could, could turn this story on its head after it's all said and done. There's no way that after he's healed, he can go and, and tell all his mates how he came up with this story, with this idea that, that he was going to go to Israel and get healed, that it was all him. No, it all started with a little slave girl who had faith in the Word of God, who understood the power of the Word of God. And her witness here, it can be such an encouragement for us. Against all odds, in enemy, enemy territory, she shares her faith so that her master, the very man that was responsible for her capture, so that he could be told, about the grace of God. There are several lessons in that for us. Are we, are we active in sharing the importance of the Word of God? Do we truly believe the power that the Word has? Would we be embarrassed of telling someone in, in high-up places about the wonderful work of Jesus Christ, or would we do it because we truly have seen God's goodness? There's something more too. Do we discriminate when we share the gospel? Sometimes it can be easy for us to think that, if we, that we should share the gospel with the down and out because they would probably believe it easier. Or Maybe we only share the gospel with the affluent, those who, who we're not scared of talking to. The gospel, together with the command to, to repent, to believe, It ought to be announced and declared without discrimination to all nations, to all people, to whom God in His good pleasure sends it. And that includes even those who we consider our enemies. After all, we were enemies of God. But we can have confidence that that the Word of God is powerful enough to transform us, can transform anyone so let's spread that word. After all, it's such good news. There's such hope. How could we not but share it? Anyway, Naaman's worry, his leprosy, his, his quest for healing, it, it leads him to the king of Israel. But the king of Israel can offer no hope. For him, he he thinks it's all a a political stunt. And he doesn't point him to the God who can heal. The king of Israel, he's full of worry himself. He tears his clothes. And then Elisha confronts him in verse 8. He says, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I'm going to slow down here because there's a lot going on in this short confrontation. So Elisha is rebuking the king for his lack of faith in God. The king in the past has rejected Elisha as a, as a prophet, and so Elisha is showing him that he is going to do something for, for Naaman. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Not you, O king, but he Naaman, the enemy, the Gentile, the Syrian, he is going to know of God's power and grace. There's another thing I'd like to point out. Naaman, he goes to the king of Israel. It's interesting. He wouldn't know where else to go, and that's important for us to realize. Naaman, he he comes to Israel with a desire to be healed, but but he doesn't know where to go. That's why Elisha steps onto the scene. God is sending Elisha, his prophet, to, to seek Naaman out. Naaman doesn't know where to go, and even though Naaman is the enemy of God's people, God came to him. God sent. Elisha the prophet to come to him it is God who seeks us out it is God who seeks out his enemies Do you understand that do you acknowledge that We have a very similar condition to Naaman just like Naaman we're, we're by nature enemies of God we're unclean in his eyes we might not have leprous spots visible on the outside of us, but we have a plague inside of our hearts. What are my leprous spots? What are your leprous spots, brothers and sisters? Is it a constant desire to, to move up in the world, to, to make a name for yourself? Is it a pessimistic outlook on life? Is, is it the feeling you get when you're watching something that you know you shouldn't be? the plague of self-righteousness. The truth is we all have leprous spots inside of us. In the eyes of God, we're not clean. Does that make you worry? Do you realize that you can't come to God in and of yourself? Do you realize that it is He who seeks us out? We can't come and grab hold of that grace, and we won't because we're dirty. We're afraid. We can't come to him. But there's grace and there's hope because God, in his goodness, he comes to us. He comes with a message. He comes with the beautiful words of the gospel. And so God comes to Naaman through his prophet Elisha, and this is God's message for him. Wash. Wash and be clean. That's what we're going to look at in our second point as we consider Naaman's washing. So Naaman he he comes into Israel with with bucket loads of cash. We read that he has ten talents of silver, six thousand uh, shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. This isn't just spare change. This is a ridiculous amount of money. Perhaps Naaman is his treating this like a, a trip to the States for a medical procedure. He needs medical work done urgently. He doesn't want to be stuck on a wait list. So he travels down, pays his money, gets healing. Naaman is his prepared for a transaction. I will give Israel, I will give the God of Israel the money, and he will give me back what I want. He's prepared for a transaction. Sometimes we can have the same tendency to, to think that way, that our relationship with God is, is transactional, that we're required to do something, and in exchange, God will give us what we want, give us what we need. Because when we earn something, we feel good about ourselves, we feel accomplished. An example of this, sometimes we can experience that with our, our devotions, with our prayer life, when we forget, when we neglect to, to read God's Word, to, to pray with Him, sometimes it can be hard to, to get back into it. Sometimes we feel like God won't listen to us anymore because we haven't been faithful to Him in these things. Don't get me wrong, these things are important, devotions, prayer, something we're called to do. But our diligence in them isn't what, our, isn't what earns us a relationship with God. A relationship with God isn't transactional like like Naaman thought. Because Naaman, he comes along with, with all this money so that he can buy healing. But God turns the tables on him. And along with Naaman, we're going to be taught a gracious lesson about the way God brings about restoration. Elisha's messenger is sent to Naaman, and this is his message in verse 10. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Wash and be clean, Naaman, that's all you have to do. It's that simple. No transaction. The cleansing of God is a, is a free gift. It's nothing you can earn. What a relief that is. What an easy thing to do. Healing has been promised to Naaman if only he believes and, and washes himself. So what does he do? He runs as fast as he can to the Jordan River, takes off his shirt, dives right in, and, and scrubs himself clean. That's what you'd expect. But we read in, we read in verse 11, that he becomes furious, he becomes angry. Why? Why? He desperately wanted healing. He was prepared to pay for it. He, was gonna, he brought a lot of money with him. Why would he get so frustrated and angry? It's because he already had in his mind how he was going to be saved, how he was going to be cleansed. He wanted it done in his way. That's what we read about in verse 11. Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me he would stand and call upon the name of the lord his god and wave his hand over the place and and cure the leper are not abana and farpar the rivers of damascus better than all the waters of israel could i not wash in them and be clean in effect he's saying why why doesn't god heal me the way i want to be healed i wanted him to to wave his arms over me and, and pronounce cleansing? And if I have to wash, why do I wash in the, have to wash in the dirty Jordan? It all seems foolish to him. It all seems foolish, and it is foolish. Why? How would healing come from, from washing in a dirty Israelite river? It makes no sense. And it's foolish to him because his whole life he's succeeded on on the basis of what he has done. He didn't become commander of the army of Syria by doing nothing. He's, he's worked for that position. So the simplicity of this task, it's, it's foolishness to him. There's no way he can do it himself. There's no way he can earn it. And the truth is, God's ways do often seem foolish to us. Do you know what else seems foolish? It's that salvation can come through a dead man. That salvation can come through someone who died and didn't just die normally, but died the most humiliating uh, death, cursed, rejected by God, rejected by man. Jesus won salvation for those who believe in him by dying. If you grew up knowing that, it might not sound that strange, but to worship someone who died to save his people Died on a cross, that's that's foolishness. How can salvation come through a dead person? One Corinthians one tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so the message of, he- of healing for Naaman, it seemed foolish to him. But thankfully, it, it didn't seem as foolish to-, to his servants. Look at what they say in-, in verse 13. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? What his servant says is true. It highlights the heart of man. We desire to earn things. We work hard to earn our, our wages. We, we work hard at relationships to, to earn, to gain trust. The servants of Naaman know this. And so they tell him if he was asked to do something great, he would go off and do it. But that's not how he was going to receive cleansing from God. For following Jesus, it's not a works-based religion. And that can be hard for us to get our heads around. Despite confessing that Jesus is the only way of salvation, we can so easily drift into to, to legalism. And it's tempting because we love to look at what we've done and, and think we can merit something from it. We desire that satisfaction. We want to do something for our salvation. But our good works, our work ethic, what we wear to church, how, how hospitable we are, how kind we are, all these things, they're, they're good things worthy of reflection, but they can't merit in any part our salvation. Paul is getting at something similar in Philippians 3. He's telling uh, the, the church there that he's telling them how upright he is, how, he, how upright he was, sorry, in the eyes of the law. He was Hebrew, he was zealous, he was blameless in regard to the law, but he realized that these things could count for nothing. They were of no gain to him. He acknowledges there that, that he cannot have any righteousness in and of himself, but that it all must come from Jesus Christ. So he says in Philippians 3 verse 9 that he doesn't have his own righteousness which comes from the law but, but that is which, through, which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So congregation, is, is that our confession? Do we truly believe that, that God's grace is free? That we can earn it in, in no way. For in reality, cleansing can only come from God and from, from Him Totally. And for Naaman, everything, absolutely everything is God's doing. God puts the the young slave girl on his path. Even though Naaman's a Gentile, an enemy, a Syrian, God seeks him out through the prophet Elisha when Naaman goes to the king. God doesn't accept his money, but, but Naaman is cleansed in God's way. The whole time it's been God acting, it's been God doing the work. And the result... Naaman washes, and he becomes clean. Leprosy gone. What a sweet picture that is of the washing we receive in Christ. Our position, our worry, it was far greater than that of Naaman. He had an outward condition, but we have a plague inside of us. the plague of sin, that that which makes... That plague which makes us look filthy, not just in the eyes of of each other, but, but in the eyes of God. We are seen as God's enemies, just like Naaman. But God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, brings back even us, his enemies, on the cross. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin and guilt, just as the water washed away the leprosy from Naaman's body. But we don't need to be washed seven times like Naaman had to because the blood of Jesus has the fullness that the number seven symbolizes. His blood is all that we need. And when we think about this washing, we can see that it's a beautiful picture of of what baptism is. Baptism baptism is a sign, it's a seal of what, what Christ has done for us. God's cleansing of Naaman was a a God to Naaman event. That's the way the grace flowed. It came from God. It went to Naaman. And so it is with baptism. Baptism is a a God to to us sign. It's telling us that salvation is a free gift of grace. It's what God is saying to us, not what we are saying to God. And God is saying, I love you. I promise to, to cleanse you, to wash away your sins as surely as water washes away dirt from the body. I'll do that for you, dear, dear child of mine, because I love you. Love of God. Do you realize that you are in desperate need of cleansing? That you need to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ? Wash and be clean. Receive God's free gift of grace by believing in Him. We're all in desperate need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, and it's a free gift. Come to him. Receive cleansing in the name of Jesus Christ who died to save sinners like you, like me. What's also incredible to think about is that even in Old Testament times, God was gathering people for himself from from all the nations. God's people were Israel But he was reaching out to Naaman, a Syrian, a foretaste of God, reaching out to to all the nations through his Son, Jesus Christ. See, salvation, it's not only for Israelites, but but for for whoever believes in Jesus Christ, who is washed, made clean by his blood. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said this to the Israelites in Nazareth. Luke 4, verse 27, he says, Many lepers were in Israel during the time of Naaman the Syrian. Sorry, during the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them were cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. Isn't that amazing? God showed grace and favor to Naaman, even though there were other lepers in Israel. God's grace, it, it extends to the whole world that whoever believes in him will be washed clean made one of his precious children. Do you believe that God can do that for you? He can do that for you through his son, Jesus. He did it for Naaman. His, his grace is that wide-reaching. And when we look at Naaman's response to his washing, we can uh, glean a few lessons as well. It's in the last section of our text from verses 15 to, to 19. What Naaman does in response, it's not necessarily a recipe for for how we are to worship God, but there are valuable lessons, and we're going to have a look at three ways that that he worships God. And so first of all, he he worships God by confessing his faith. See what he says in front of Elisha, in front of his servants in verse 15. He says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He has received grace. He cannot but confess that God is the only God. When God acts in your life, when he gives you saving grace as a free gift, are you confessing that? Are you praising God, telling your family, witnessing to your neighbors about what, has got, what God has done for you? Are you making the good confession? Sometimes it seems easier to do this after we've had a, an extra special moment in our life a time when we've felt more so than, than at other times that God is truly in us. A radical experience, perhaps. Something radical has happened in the life of Naaman. His leprosy is gone. This leads him to confess his faith in God. And do you wholeheartedly believe that? That your sins being washed away is just as radical. Do you feel in your heart a desire to confess and testify about what God has done for you in your life? I'll encourage you with some words from Romans 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's part of Naaman's worship, it can be part of ours as well. The second aspect of Naaman's worship is his giving. So, you remember that Naaman brought all, like so much money with him down to Israel to buy salvation. And he offers to give all of the money that he has brought with him as a gift. Our text says that, that he wants to give it as a present. He isn't trying to earn healing anymore because he has been healed. But he desires to show his gratitude by giving the gifts that God has given to him. God loves a cheerful giver, He encourages us to give from what he has given to us. It's an important part of our worship. Ultimately, Elisha rejects the gifts. He refuses to take it, and it's not because God doesn't want us to give, but in this case, it's probably a a wisdom principle. Naaman is a new Christian. He's going back to Syria, surrounded by unbelievers. So if he gives this giant gift, there, there could be a temptation for him later on to, to boast in his giving. But but the word teaches us that if we are to boast we are to boast in the Lord. This should make us stop, reflect. Why are we giving? Is it an act of worship? Are we giving our first fruits as an act of worship? Or do we find satisfaction in it by thinking we're buying back favor? It's an act of worship. That's what giving is and should be aimed at the glory of God. And the third part of, of Naaman's worship was sacrifice. You'll probably have noticed in our text that that Naaman asked for two mule loads of, of dirt so that he can build an altar. It sounds a bit odd. Why would he want two mule loads of dirt? But when you think about it, It kind of makes sense. He was going back to Syria, but he wanted to be worshipping Israel's God. So he was taking part of Israel back with him. So that he could worship the God of Israel in Israel, because it was Israelite. Although it it seems a bit strange, it seems a bit odd, we can really see the, the heart transformation of Naaman. He doesn't just lose his leprosy, but he's losing his paganism as well. He no longer wanted to serve anyone else except the God of Israel. He was devoting his entire life as a sacrifice to the God of Israel. He was putting away his old way of life. He didn't want to sacrifice to, to the false gods anymore. You see, when, when we're washed clean, we don't go on and keep living dirty lives. No, we're cold, as we're told in Romans 12, to to live our lives in a holy way out of thankfulness to God. that's what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. By God's grace, the Spirit works in our hearts to be renewed more and more after the image of God so even though we we're, we're weak even though we're sinful we can still stri- strive to live lives pleasing to god in the understanding that, that jesus will, will take away our shortcomings with his precious blood if we believe in him Naaman his worshiping in this way because of his gratitude to god for the work in for god's work in his life and if we reflect on if we reflect on the free gift of grace that God has given to us that we also inspired to, to worship God with our whole heart, just like Naaman does here. To give up his old way of life, his paganism and take hold of service to God, the only God. It doesn't come without its difficulties and Naaman realizes that. He's in a different time, he's in a different era. And so he confesses that when he goes back to Syria, he might have to bow down to, to the Syrian God, Rimon alongside his king. But he confesses that, that when he does this, his heart isn't worshipping Rimmon. He is there. He's just there to be a, a sidekick to the king. And, and the king would want to bow down and he would be forced down with him. He doesn't want to worship Rimon. And even for this, he asks for forgiveness. But the focus of 2 Kings 5, which we read today, it's on the wonderful gift of grace which can only come from our Savior, Jesus Christ. So despite the worries we face living in this sinful world, the, the pervasive sin of, uh, the worries of the pervasive sin in our lives, we can be washed, made clean with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So let us worship him with our whole bodies for such a beautiful gift. Amen.